You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Welcome to the Drawing Board Podcast. This is your founder and host, Andre Ebron. And we, can you believe it? We are nearing the middle of July. I know we just passed the 4th of July. We just passed, well, 15 days after Juneteenth, however you want to frame it. But we are headed towards the middle of July. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Ebron and Associates, a consulting firm that consults and develops and supports personal, professional, and organizational transformation. I also want to give a shout out to the Viger Group, who is responsible for a lot of the collateral. Uh, the T-shirts that you've seen, they are responsible for printing that, uh, helping to organize some of the messaging that you see, and just overall supporting our organization. We want to say thank you to them. Now, today, today, it's Blackout Tuesday. So I hope that you have been allocating your funds responsibly. If you have chosen to not spend any money at all, or if you have chosen to spend some finance or to buy, I hope that you have been investing your dollars into black businesses. I don't have to go into all of the the technical piece about how long a dollar stays in the black community, but you know that it is vitally important that you continue to buy from black businesses. Now, today I have on the show... Uh, a good brother who is out there doing the work. I love connecting with community leaders that are doing the work. So welcome to the Drawing Board Podcast, Drawing Board Nation. Let's welcome to the show, Brother Quan Nellums. Welcome to the show, brother. Uh, what up, though? How's it going, man? Ebron, thank you for the invite. Oh, man, absolutely, absolutely. I see that, man, you're in between different events. You just told me you <laughs> yeah. were at one event, jumped in the car, you just finished delivering some uh, some supplies to another one of uh, the organizers involved in, some of the members there. And so, man, you're a man on the move. Let's let's break it down uh, by definition and substance for the to know who is Brother Quan Nellums. All right, man. Uh, my name is Quan Nellums, born and raised in the city of Detroit. Detroit, in turn, raised me. Um, uh, graduate of Mumford High School, class 98, Wayne State University. I'm an educator within the Detroit Public Schools Community District. This is my 17th year, um, right. you know, in the game. So, uh, man, just uh, somebody who uh, looking to use my my gifts, my talents, my resources to you know make a difference in my city, uh, to be a part of the community and uh, building and also building community in my city as well, man. So that's pretty much why I'm in a nutshell. I'm a proud husband father of two um, sons. Uh, one is nine, one is 11, about to be 12 in a month. So, um, you know, we residents in the city of Detroit as well. So just, uh, you know, just, just living and giving of myself to the people that I love, man. Oh man, that's amazing. Now I have a question, particularly for black male educators. Why did you choose education? Why was it important for you to choose education as your profession? 
Man, I'm telling you, you know, uh, that's a long story, but man, I give you the nutshell. Uh, I was, I actually was in school for material science engineering. Um, I volunteered uh, in Brightmoor for a number of years at a local school, Peter Vitor School. Uh, what I saw at that school was, man, it was very moving. Uh, the local church there, Rosedale Park Baptist Church, uh, they, they adopted this school. And their relationship with this school was so intense that um, the youth pastor of the school would be, when the principal was absent, would be the acting principal. You know, and a lot of the, and a lot of the students from that school, uh, so although it's called Rosedale Park Baptist Church, it was in Brightmoor and it was adjacent to the Smith Housing Project. So a lot of the students who went to VTAL came from the Smith Housing Project. And the goal of this youth pastor was to adopt this school and provide it with all the necessary resources that is that it that it needed. And it was strategically positioned because the school. So um, as I volunteered with this church, they placed me at this school. And so I was at school during the day at that school as an 18 year old. And they uh, they allowed me to be like a behavior interventionist. They were this was in 99, man. They were before their time. They were, um, you know, they were trying to do this whole restorative practices back in 99, where instead of um, suspending the young men, they would send them to me. We would have a conversation that in turn turned into me hosting a, a mentorship program after school for the middle school boys. But the, the caveat was is that it didn't stop at school because I had an office at the church as well. And I would see the kids in the neighborhood. So when I would go, when I would leave school and go to my, my office, the students would be there during the summertime. You know, we provided programming and I saw the students like at school. I saw them in the neighborhood. I got to meet their parents. And when you, when you talk about the impact that community involvement in schools have, I saw it firsthand. Uh, I've been um, I've been trying to mimic that blueprint ever since I've been a teacher. And so. You know, the youth pastor of the church uh, came at me and was like, you ever thought about being a teacher? And I was like, I never thought about it. But with this experience, I think I want to be one. And so, man, I switched my major very, you know, I, I switched it quick. Um, I, be, I um, you know, I I uh, went to the college education. I did my student teaching at Peter Vitor School. My mentor teacher was a Carl. His name was Carl Brownlee. He's still in the district as well. He, he started off as my mentor teacher. He's my good friend now. Uh, I mean, I learned so much from this guy as a volunteer first. I would volunteer in his class. He opened his classroom up to me like, hey, man, you know, you can use this class for your program after school. I use his students, you know. So I connected with him as a volunteer. And then when I became a student teacher, I got a chance to learn the craft from him. And, and when I became like for a new teacher, I will always go back to him. We would have discussions, and, you know, times where I wanted to quit. He encouraged me, you know. And so I just had an all around good experience with this one school, man. And it just changed the whole trajectory of my life. And so um, just the, the just what I learned uh, with my time as being a volunteer at that school, um, it changed my trajectory and what I wanted to do in life. And it also influenced the way I wanted to attack being a teacher and so um just all the things as far as community involvement involvement outside of the school uh after school programming things like that um being closely um involved with, with families 
those are things I carried with me and implemented wherever I was as a teacher. Now, you know, throughout the whole story, you know what I'm thinking and listening to? Because that approach, that rap approach about making sure that you are involved in their community lives, their home lives, that you end up being a, a consistent support uh, wherever they are. Each environment, you get a chance to influence that by, you know, exuding the love and providing the tangible resources, right, that's needed. But the whole time I was listening to you, I was thinking to myself, do you think that you were always called to serve? Because I'm wondering, you in 99, as an 18-year-old young man, why was I was trying to figure out why is this 18-year-old young man yeah. dedicating his time and service to volunteer at a school? Like you you gotta break that down for me, brother. Yeah, man. So when I say the city raised me, man, um, I benefited from caring adults. Um, you know, and 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 I always get emotional talking about this, man. Um, as a 15-year-old, um, I was a part of a program called Project Adapt. Now, you may know, um, <laughs> I don't want to give away his age. Uh, he probably doesn't care. But my mentor when I was in Project Adapt was a, a man by the name of um, Otis Bellinger. Yeah, Brother Bellinger. Yeah, That's I know right. Brother so, Otis. So yeah. when I was 15, he was a young man as a mentor as well. But this program was ran by adults. Uh, Miss Rush, Mama Rush, she's passed away now. She's an ancestor. But man, let me tell you, this program changed my life. I mean, and I would go so far as to say it saved my life. Uh, we met three times a week at the Northwest Activity Center. And this was a, 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 a combination of kids from the West Side and kids from the East Side. And we met at the Northwest Activity Center. And Miss Rush, her and the, and the faculty that was involved, their whole duty was, they said, we want to um, change your mind. And the way she said it, we want to move you from, from being ghetto to being global. And they spent, we, again, we met three times a week, and they spent their time constructing things for us that, that really just moved us into a global mindset. So we went out of town all the time. With this, listen, with this group, I visited every state on the eastern seaboard. <laughs> I visited all the states down south. Midwest. The plan was to take us to Africa. We didn't, you know, we didn't realize that plan, but we did do a lot of traveling. They paid us to travel. They gave us $120 to travel and we would go to college tours. We'd go to all the black colleges. Every time we went to a different city, we had, we found a black uh, bookstore and they said, listen, with that money that we gave you, we want, we want you to buy one book. And that's how, and I, and I do that now with my own kids. We collect books and, uh, you know, we read them. That's when I started, you know, um, they took us to places that we didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to dinner theater as a 15 year old, but they took us. Right. And, it, and it was cool because it, it opened us up like, oh, you know, I can have a conversation about this stuff. Um, they were very intentional. They introduced us to classical music. They introduced us to um, black classical performers and pianists and stuff like that. Um, uh, every year they took us to Black Man Think Tank in Cincinnati. Uh, by the time I was 16 years old, I had heard all the heavy hitters, Naeem Akbar. Uh, Michael Dyson, um, uh, Milana Karinga, uh, Johnny Ray Youngblood. I mean, the list goes on and on. We would, you know, we would be heard, we would be set at these uh, um, these uh, conferences and heard these things, man. Um, when we would go to to meet on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at Nose Activity Center, um, you know, we we they they introduced us to people from our community. 
they came with messages about, you know, how to how to be better um, young men and women, whether it was uh, making goals for ourselves, whether it was, um, you know, eating properly, meditation, things like that, man. And these and, and, and what I saw, man, what all of us saw, we knew that we that these people loved us, man, because they um, they really gave of themselves, man. I mean, for anybody to sacrifice three, three days out of their time. And to really go and search for that money to do this for a young kid. And it wasn't a small amount of young people. It was about 100, 120 of us, you know. And so for them to do that, on a, and they were consistent, and they were loving, and they saved our lives, man. And I knew when I was going through that, I was like, I can't, you know, they taught us that, you know, altruism, that, you know, you getting all this is not for you to, to blow it. You got to pass this along. And so, you know, I always vowed and all my friends that was in it, you know, it saved our life. We, we, we all follow the similar trajectory. Like whatever we're doing in life, serving the next generation has to be a part of our lifestyle, you know, and that's what it is. It's just like, just like going to work out every day, uh, <laughs> you know, being a servant, young people serving your community is, is, is lifestyle for us because this is what was poured into us and what saved our lives. So we know it works. You know, and so by the time I turned 18, I, you know, that was just a part of my life. You know, I knew that I had to, you know, it was no, it was no doubt, no question that I would be volunteering somewhere. I would be serving somebody. I would, you know, you know, whatever I was doing. And so that's, that's where it came from, man. It all is all props to the, the older, the elders that poured into us. And so I got much love for Project Adapt, Ms. Rush, um, all the people that was involved with that. Mr. Bellinger, when I see him now, we have a special bond because, you know, as he was a young man at that point, uh, Otis had to be in his uh, mid to late 20s. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. We got kind of, Otis had to be in his, yeah, 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 mid to late um, 20s when he was doing that. So I, um, wait, hold on one second. Yeah, so I, I, um, I definitely, um, you know, knew that because of the examples that I had that I would be doing the same thing. Well, yeah, man, that, that uh, evidence, that principle to whom much is given, you know, that's much right, shall man. be required. And that's what's right. amazing is somebody that's listening that has a mentoring program or is thinking about investing in the youth, you are proof positive that none of those seeds are wasted, right? Not, that, not at all. That, uh, yeah, and that uh, exposing youth to opportunities uh, and encouraging their growth, their potential and being patient with them and loving with them. And mo- the most important thing you start off with is that you had the support of caring adults. And like that, it, it changes the game for every young person because I don't care how tough you are or how tough your circumstance is, love has a way of cutting through all of that and getting to the real seed of who you can become. Yeah, so yeah, talk to me, brother. I know the, I know you are the founder of a, you got you got so many irons in the fire, but you are the founder of uh, the Lyricist Society uh, that deals that engage directly uh, with young adolescent male youth. Talk to me about that, brother. Are you matter of fact? Wait a minute. Do you have a couple bars on hand? No, hey man, no oh, man. No, hey, hold on. Hey, wait. I, hold on. Go, go ahead. Hey, uh, give me. Go ahead, man. Give me a quick eight. Hey, nah, man, maybe later, man. Maybe later, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Lyricist Society, man. Um, we, uh, it's a program. I mean, it's, it's whew, we are 10 years strong 
this past January, we celebrated our 10th year doing Lyrics of Society. And really, man, oh, it just comes from, yeah, thank you, man. It, it just comes from, listen, it wasn't uh, like as a teacher, by that point, you know, I was, I was teaching at um, Frederick Douglass Academy for Young Men. And, um, you know, I noticed that, you know, the, the young men, you know, you had, you know, we had at that point, we had a band there, but you had some young men who were talented, but they were talented in non-traditional uh, musical art forms in school. And by that, by saying that, they were interested in rapping and hip hop and stuff. And so I had a background in hip hop. And I know that I feel that um, growing up in Detroit, uh, I'm sorry, Andre, you from Detroit? No, man, I'm, I'm from Cali, raised okay. in Indiana. But listen, okay. I'm hip I'm hip hop. I'm hip hop to my heart, though. Uh, okay, but listen. Growing up in Detroit, uh, I came of age in Detroit in the '90s, man. So from you know my high school years, '94 to '98, man. Um, that I mean, there there literally needs to be some 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 studying, some studies done, some books written about that time period because the culture, the artistic culture in Detroit was astounding to grow up in, man. I mean, we had the hip hop shop on Seven Mile. Uh, where, you know, this is where D12, Proof, Eminem, this is their stomping ground. This is before they got famous, and they would be there rapping. You know, as a 15-year-old, I'm going up there on Saturdays hearing, I mean, Jay Dilla, you know, being able to hear his his music before he goes with the Tribe Called Quest and stuff like that, you know, seeing Elzai from Slum Village, um, seeing D12 and Eminem and all that, rapping and all the other local artists um, rapping and stuff. And then be, to be able to go to Cafe Mahogany, Cafe Mahogany was the poetry spot here in Detroit, uh, Fluent and uh, Kari Kamani Turner and all these guys. And um, and then seeing, uh, going down to the, uh, what was called, uh, the, the shelter, St. Andrew's Hall. Down uh, During that time in the 90s, it was a straight hardcore hip hop club. I mean, people uh, from the Fugees, the Wu-Tang, you know, all the underground artists would come come there before they made it big and stuff so um man culture i mean and it was and you will always see whether you were at uh the the neighborhood community center or whether you was at a school you would see uh kids at the table banging on the table in a cipher you know what i'm saying and and, and that cipher that cipher life was it was exhilarating man i mean we can talk about that later how bringing the elements to the cipher to the classroom how important that is but i mean just being involved in those sites being involved in a detroit culture at that time you know i became involved in hip-hop i mean i was writing rhymes and i believe that hip-hop made me a, a more expressive because i'm normally a shy person but you know at that time it made me more expressive and increased my vocabulary uh it made me more confident it even gave a rhythm to my writing that made it better you know writing essays and things like that and so, um, so you know, my background was in hip hop. You know, just as far as, and I know, and I knew how cool it can be used in school, and how life changing and academic uh, it could be uh, in school as well. And so, while I was, you know, working at Douglas, you know, I was like, look, let's see what this hip hop does. And so, I just said, look, two rules: no profanity, <laughs> and you got to talk about something. And so. My first, the first, the first song that was ever recorded was a song about Black history. Uh, man, they killed it. The kids were going around the school listening to it. They're like, oh, they was quoting it. And I was like, man, there's something to this because if these young people can influence their own peer group and they're talking about something positive, 
Um, and they talking about something, you know, I was like, this is cool. So we've been recording ever since. And so um, the the beautiful thing is, is that the kids are able to, you know, they, they create music videos. Like I said, they won an Emmy for music video creation. They were the only Detroit public school. And they won against some of their affluent, you know, some of the more affluent school districts in the suburbs. But their content, their artistry, the song that they made that they uh, got an Emmy for for the music video was a song called Peace. And it was it was this was in 2015. So they were talking about um, um, uh, police brutality. Now, this was this was back in 2015, right. 2016. And, right. and and I recently just looked at it. And I thought about it, like, man, this this was deeper than what I thought because they recorded the video using cell phones. And so, you know, we know that a lot of this, like with the past, like with George right. Floyd, you know, being on cell phone, a lot of the police brutality being caught on cell phones, they use cell phones. They staged the, like a protest. They got permission from the principal and they staged like a protest at the school. I mean, it was like a dope, very dope concept. And to be able to see those kids go up and they were in front of the news, they were at they were at Detroit Public Television, lots of people there. They got a chance to dress up and they really got a chance to like, yo, you know, you know, thank you, you know, to to show that, you know, they put some thought into what they did. And, you know, to be able to have kids be proud of something that they that they're doing, first of all, and something that they are involved in on a daily basis to see that. To see that there is a um, there is a um, brilliance behind something that they're interested in on a daily basis. So to see their their the things they're interested in deemed as brilliant, right? It it makes them feel like they're brilliant as well. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, and so at that point, like I say, I was sold. I was like, all right, every year if I got kids who are interested in making music, we're gonna do it. And so uh, it just started off as a little after school club and it just grew from that, man. I mean, uh, it had gotten, you know, local attention, statewide attention, national attention. Uh, there's been um, scholarly journals written about them. There's been um, interviews with them. And so it's all for them. Like we did. They did a song about the 1967 rebellion and NPR. Oh, wow. Yeah. NPR wanted to come and. Um, interview them. And so we were all there. I was there too. We were all getting interviewed and they cut my part off and just had the kids. And, I, and that's what it's all about to me. Like, look, the kids are able to handle, they can hold it down. They did their research to write their lyrics and things like that. So, I mean, again, it wasn't, it wasn't any form or fashion. It was just that, Hey, I do hip hop. I can show you guys a little something. Let's see what you got. And it just went from there, man. It wasn't, you know, I didn't sit down and create this huge outstanding curriculum. It was just, this is a, a passion that I have, something that I believe helped me out as a young person. And let's see what it can do with the next generation. And it, and it worked very well, man. So we, we're still going strong. So now I was I was solely at Douglas, but now we are at a, we are at about four different schools right now. Oh, that's amazing. So now I, I have yeah. to issue the challenge. I have to issue the challenge. Uh -oh. Top five. Go ahead. Top five. The top five, man. Top oh, five. man. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so my... my <laughs> My top five is a little uh, esoteric, man. So I'm gonna put Killer Priest out there. Okay. Killer Priest, uh, he's he's probably been true to his who he is. Um, he's been in it from the what from the '90s on until now, man. He just dropped another album, uh, Rockets to 
Nebula, Rockets to Nebula. I mean, it's just so different than anything you ever heard. It's almost like a spoken word album, but it's dope, you know. And so I got to, you know, I got, I got, I got to put Killer Priest on that list. And this is no particular order. I'll put okay. Killer Priest on the list. Um, uh, probably I'll, I'll put Nas on the list as well. Um, I, I heard hesitation. Why? Why the hesitation, brother? Um, well, I know there's no hesitation. You know, maybe what you're hearing is that uh, I got some uh, some conversations echoing in my ear. Over, you know, I had this conversation with some of my boys and stuff. And so, you know, uh, one of my boys is a huge Jay Z fan. But you know, uh, but I, I'll put Nas on the list. Uh, uh, there's a guy from New York by the name of Corey Red. Uh, okay. I'll put him on the list. He, he, same way he's been he's been rocking it since I saw him at live like in the nineties. And um, he's been still rocking it ever since then. And, you know, uh, but the content, he talks about what he pretty much what he lives, man. You know, and it's not, um, you know, his beliefs and all that stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, I appreciate that, that you're able to be transparent on your rhymes and they're sweet. So we got we got Killer Priest. We got Nas. We got Corey Red. Um, I'll put. I'll put I'll put Lauren on the list, man. Uh, the reason why I put Lauren because a lot of people don't put women on the list when it comes to it, but I'll put Lauren on there because although I think a lot of things may have been cut short with her because we didn't see the follow up album and things like that um, right. the way we wanted to see it, but I think she just she she just went another way and she stayed true to what she was doing. But still, you can't you can't um, you can't negate her skills on both fronts on the rhyming. And on the R&B side as well. We got right. four, we got Lauryn Hill. And the fifth one, um, I just go ahead and throw Kendrick on there, man. Okay. Why, <laughs> yeah, why, I th- why Kendrick, though? Why Kendrick? I think Kendrick, I think Kendrick is, um, he, um, I think he's carrying the torch, man. He's, uh, he has the skills. He has the content. And I think he can go, I mean, literally, he can go with any rapper, old or new. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's important. You know, and then the fact that uh, he won, I mean, he, he was validated before he won the Pulitzer for, to me. You know what I'm saying? But the fact right. that um, he was able to get a Pulitzer just for the rhymes that he, that he writes and stuff like that. But again, the fact that he's a bridge, man, that he can go, you can take him back. He can go toe-to-toe with any of the Nas, Jay-Z, and he can go toe-to-toe with the newer guys, too. So you can put him on there with Drake. With me, any of them, he is still he he comfortable on any you know, in any era, I believe. So I got to give him put him on that list as well. Yeah, I, who your top, who your top five, man? Who your top five? Oh man, listen. So um, I have to say Nas definitely. Nas is like I think my favorite MC, a like, hands down. Uh, okay. I like I like his what what I like more most about him is. Um, just how learned, right? So if you study and know a lot about him and his upbringing, and I know I've been watching uh, his interview and his tour with uh, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, just how uh, Dyson breaks down his whole flow. But it is it is the flow, it is the delivery of the content to me uh, that makes him like astounding in the way that he delivers his rhymes. Uh, I have to say... Let's see. Number two, I'll probably have to give it to 
Uh, hey man, I like Buster Rhymes. <laughs> yeah, Buster. Uh, because Buster brings this whole energy following kind of his his evolution, right? You know, when you see him with Tribe, when you see him go solo, like I see him grow as an artist in a way. Uh, the thing I love about it is just as he grew as a man, his his delivery, his style uh, grew. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. what I, I really, I, I like his vibe. I like his flow and just the energy, his delivery. He takes you on a, he makes you shake your head like this with, with mm-hmm. every little inflection of his voice. So mm-hmm. as you can tell from me, like flow is extremely important, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe flow for me is important because uh, I was a percussionist, right? So okay. when I'm listening to, you know, nothing to me is nothing harder than a 4-4, right? So you mm-hmm. put a, a hard 4-4 on, and somebody can just go to a hard four four. Oh, it's it's over. You know. Uh, uh, Let's see, uh, three. I I will have to give it to. I'm gonna go with you on Lauren. Yeah, uh, yeah. Lauren Hill to me was and is. Um, she just organically she has this raw potential that that yeah. comes across uh, in her lyrics, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you can't help but feel what she's talking about. You know what I mean? So yeah. like Nas paints the picture for me. It's almost like we're walking down the street and he's painting this narrative, right? Buster yeah. makes me just, you know, rock out to, you know, yeah. just go yeah. in. And Lauren, uh, she makes you feel something like she's having a, a a conversation with you, like a download of that wisdom, whether it's her articulating her pain or whether she's articulating the need for uplift. Like Lauren is that deal. Um, let me see. I'm on four now, right? Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta go with Jay. Uh, Jay, I gotta yeah. go with Jay. Yeah, uh, I gotta go with Jay just because I've also followed him uh, from Reasonable Doubt and his faster flows to like how he found his own groove. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. He's, uh, he's very conversational, right? And I'm not even talking about the um, uh, like the style and method where he talks about he doesn't write. Uh, but really just literally how he is now leveraging, uh, you know, rap to be able to talk about real things like, uh, yeah. uh, like OJ, that song right there. That song. Yeah. Like talking about OJ, some of the things and, and, and his music growth. Uh, and lastly, if I had to choose one, uh, I'm struggling between Pac and Biggie right now, between Pac and Biggie. Wow. Um, I kind of launched you for a minute, man. What'd you say about Pac and Biggie? Oh, no, I said, I kind of wonder, I wonder where his music would have gone had his life not been cut short. Pac or Biggie? Yeah, Pac. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, think, those are, um, so, so younger me, uh, I would have said Biggie. Uh, okay. You know, as a teenager, you know, Biggie, you know, because it was all about lyrics, you know. And of course, um, Biggie was more lyrical um, than Pac. But, you know, as I got older, listening to what Pac was saying, I'm like, man, you know, a lot of this is coming to pass. Uh, it's making sense. You know what I'm saying? But, like, younger me would have been like Biggie because it's just, uh, you know, it was just, you know, Biggie just had to flow. You know, Pac right. was more, you got to sit down and listen to him. And, and, and that's why Pac, you know, people study Pac lyrics. I mean, I think the song Dear Mama, I mean, I think that's just like 
if anything, as far as being like a a, a perfect song, I think right. that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dear Mama is, a, I mean, it tugs at your heart. He's flowing. He's bringing up some good points. You know what I'm saying? It's, and so, and, like, I can still bang that today. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, it's yeah, timeless. Uh, keep your head up. Like, you know, those are the type of things that those have lasted. Like, my kids are, you know, they're, oh, you'll play that, dad. You know what I'm saying? So, it's, it, you know, when you hear that, it's like, that, it, 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 it stays the course of time. And so, those are some things that, you know, you know, I, I would I would give it to, to Pac over Biggie because of that. Pac had that uh, he had the longevity, uh, and I think that the it's adequate what you said about Pac to be placed on Biggie. Like what you know, what type of consciousness would Biggie had had if his life would have been extended? You know, what what, what shifts and turns? You know, would it have been like a Jay Z type of trajectory, or would it have been something else? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so now, man, that leads me to when we talk about le- longevity, when we talk about legacy, when we talk about making sustainable change within the community, uh, brother, you are doing something that I find uh, grossly important. Uh, and, you know, I rally and call for all of the troops to, to join you. Uh, but you are in turn now recruiting and advocating for more African-American men to join the profession of education. Talk to me about your work with uh, uh, I'm In Demand or In Demand. All right. All right. Yeah, I am In Demand, In Demand. Uh, so let me tell you how it started, man. <laughs> I was uh, I was doing a presentation uh, at a conference, and the title of the presentation was Engaging Black Men Across School and Community, right? Okay. And, um, and as I was talking, you know, you know, we had a discussion. It was a good presentation. Somebody from the audience slipped their hand up in the air and they say, hey, that's all well and good, but we're all the black men, <laughs> you know, and, and she, you know, and she went on to say that, hey, I, I, I work in the schools and I run the male mentoring program. That's right. I'm a female and I run the male mentoring program, not because I want to, but because I have to. She was like, there's, you know, she told her story about how she went out. Uh, she sent the kids. No, the, the the kids came to her. It was like, hey, we need a, a male mentoring program. And she told them to talk to the male teachers to see who would do it. And, you know, it's like they all said no. So who said no? They all said no. Right. And so as I was sitting there, I was like, wow, you know, that hasn't been my experience. You know, I, at, at, at Douglas, I was like, man, man, we were able to get men to come in and men volunteering and, you know, teachers, male teachers volunteering and stuff like that. And so I said, you know what? Uh, we need a database of men. I thought I thought it was it was two two pronged problem. The first problem is that do men know that they're they're needed first of all, and then secondly, you know, is there uh, uh, just a database where it's like, hey, next time I, I wanted to be prepared. Next time somebody say, hey, we are the black men? I'm like, oh, you know, here's a database of black men who are willing to be involved. In, in in education, whether as mentors, volunteers, or or um or educators, and I tell you why the education, why the educator part um came a part of it too, because originally it was just for mentors and volunteers. But um as I look um as I look um at the um state of education, we know that um black men are like two percent of the population, so uh, teaching population. So our voice, our perspective. Is needed, but it's not. It's not there, right? 
And so, um, you know, my goal was like, listen, if we can't get uh, educators involved, if we can't get black men to be educators, that's a huge ask to be like, hey, you have thought about being an educator, right? Or you want to switch your career to being, being an educator. And so my, my goal was, my goal is, is to say, you know what? We need black men, period, like as mentors, as volunteers, and as educators. So um, the way that in demand, the way that we we uh, go about trying to do that is, is that, first of all, we have those conversations with uh, young people, teenagers, while they're still in high school. We had that conversation with uh, uh, students that are in college as well, saying that, hey, you know, you ever thought about being an educator? But uh, for those who maybe not think about education, you know, the other side of it is, is that our kids, you know, uh, they they need uh, us as black men to be involved. I mean, Frederick Douglass said that the um, um, it's easier to build strong men than it is to I'm sorry, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And so that means that, like, our work is um, is at school. I mean, our kids spend the majority of the time at school. Um, and so that's where the, the work is to be done, whether it's during the school day, whether it's an after school program, whatever. And so, um, my goal, like I said, the goal, the, 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 what I follow for my life is that serving the youth is a part of my lifestyle. And so I believe that that needs to be something that's a part of every black man's lifestyle that they, uh, every day they wake up, they having something on their mind is something they're doing to serve young people. And so I feel that being involved in the school system is a wonderful way to do that. So uh, we try to link black men who are interested, whether they want to be mentors or volunteers, we try to link them up with organizations that, uh, that are doing the work and that need volunteers, link them up with schools that, that need it as well. And then also for those who want to be educators, like, um, you know, we, I've come across a number of young people who are inter- young black male male students who are interested in being educators. And so being able to provide them with, you know, uh, con- the connections to to become educators. You know, t- I'm, a, I'm a fellow of Teach 313 and where they where they recruit um, uh, people to come to Detroit to teach. And so uh, I connect with, you know, Teach 313 where we funnel uh, young people. That, I mean, this school year we. Uh, we were uh, the goal was to get young people to work as teacher apprentices. And so they gave a number of those slots to young black men who are interested in becoming teachers. And so um, just being able to, to recruit them early, but also looking at it as an option, because I believe as as more and more black men at least start volunteering with young people, that may be one of the things, one of the ways that we can hook, like how I was hooked to become educators. Like, look, you're doing the volunteer work. Have you ever, if we had a clear path for you to become an educator, would you be willing to do it? And so I've seen that with a number of men who decided to switch careers or uh, while they're in their, their current career, they're going and taking classes to become educators as well. So, you know, t- um, in demand, uh, you know, we started as a way to kind of help, to help fill in that gap of black men being um, mentors volunteers and educators in the city of Detroit. And so, you know, that's our goal um, is to continue that that effort to uh, recruit black men, to let black men know that they're needed in the lives of our young people and to provide them with those connections to 
become teachers, mentors, and volunteers in the city. Well, that's excellent, brother. Now, talk to me. Um, tell me about your event that you have coming up this Saturday. So this Saturday at uh, 2, 2 o'clock p.m. at Durfee, um, at Durfee um, Innovation Society. That's on uh, 2470 Collingwood Street. Uh, we're going to have an outdoor event. Social distancing is going to be required and masks going to be required. But what we're simply going to have is just a, it's just a call to action. You know, we want to uh, get black men to come out. Um, those who can't come out, we're definitely going to have it live stream. But we, we have a number of schools, organizations, um, programs that are asking for black men to be involved as mentor and volunteers. Some are, are even looking to hire um, as employees as well. Uh, school districts that are looking for uh, black male teachers as well. Uh, you know, we have we have um, those different programs. We got about uh, twenty so far that are already committed to come, and they're going to speak for two minutes about what their needs are and what the opportunities to volunteer, mentor, and to be employed with the programs. And uh, black men are going to have that opportunity right then and there to uh to sign up and so you know we want to increase that database but definitely put that right in front put black men right in front of the people in the organizations that need them and being able to uh, have that connection so that'll be um this saturday at two o'clock p.m at the Durfee innovation society uh uh if anybody's listening that's interested or you know somebody that 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 will be interested they can register they can get more information at imindemand.com Oh, good, good. So now you know uh, you're definitely not going to be able to get off here without give, kicking a poem, uh, you know, hit, spitting a few. So, okay. so look, I, I always know generally, uh, especially with people who, who practice the lyrical art expression, whether it be spoken word or what have you, they always have at least like, if it's not a poem, it's an affirmation. They have that one go-to, all right? Uh, <laughs> they have the one go-to, all right? Yeah. So, so um, all right, now I, I got you, man. So you know, my, my memory ain't like how it used to be, man. So you know, this, this old man trying to remember remember rhymes, man. So I can I can kick a little something though, man. You you ready for it now? or You want to wait? Oh no, we are gonna hold on to it. We gonna hold on to it. All right, all we'll right. hold on all to right. it. So, um, so in the work that you're doing now, man, I know you were just telling me you're you were out uh out gift cards. For another organization that you are part of, and it's Black Leaders. Yeah, Black Leaders Detroit. Black Leaders Detroit. Talk to me about yeah. that. So um, Black Leaders Detroit, um, it is a, a program where it's for us by us, man. Uh, we, we believe that um, the community can pretty much save and, and restore the, our own community, you know. So what we do, we ask for... Um, people to donate a dollar a week to a community fund, right? So the goal is to get a million people to donate a dollar a week. And so uh, with those funds, we use those funds to um, fund Black-owned businesses, um, nonprofits who are doing the work similar to, um, you know, the, the work that's being done that like, like, like what In Demand does or mentoring programs or uh, programs that benefit the community. And so Black businesses, nonprofit. Uh, we'll be able to have a community stash to uplift and to fund, to assist in funding the organizations, the businesses in our own community. 
And so uh, you can go on to um, blackleadersdetroit.org um, and you can see just how much money we've raised so far. <laughs> um, and then you can also, if you follow us on social media, you can see how we've been able to pay out this money to these different um, black owned businesses. As you know, when COVID hit, a lot of our businesses suffered, man. And so we, 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 uh, we started a restore the village fund. And so we were able to actually give funds to businesses that may have been black owned businesses that may have been suffering during this time period. And so um, today we had an initiative called riot, which is reinvesting in our talent. Right. And so we feel that, you know, as we have uprisings and, and racial unrest, in, you know, in the city across the nation, that, you know, there's various ways that we can attack racial injustice and our form and our form of attacking it is reinvesting in our in our talent, which is our black businesses. And so what we did, we came to the historic Avenue of Fashion on Livernois and we went to each of the black owned businesses and we bought up a bunch of gift cards, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, 20 to 30 gift cards from each of the different black owned businesses. And, you know, we set up shop and as people was walking past, we gave them out, gave them out to them. You know, uh, so that they would in turn go and use those cars to um, at these black businesses and everything. And so it was a wonderful day, man. Uh, so much love and support. Um, if you are listening to this and you feel like, hey, you know, you got a dollar a week to spare. That's a dollar a week or fifty two dollars a year. Um, and you can see in real time there's, there's accountability right online. When you go online, you can see how much is being given. You can see who. Uh, you know, how much is being donated to Black Leaders Detroit. And you can see how we're using those funds to improve our black businesses, uh, to improve the equity in our black businesses as well. And so uh, that's what Black Leaders, that's the crust of what Black Leaders Detroit is. And that's, that's excellent, man. So you essentially, if a million people gave into that, you all would have a budget of $52 million uh, right. to be able to distribute among black businesses. And yep. we have to think about the impact of that and really taking in full scale about, um, you know, how change. So listen, you can count me in, brother. I'll figure out a way. Tell me how to donate. Or, you yeah, know. Just go to blackleadersdetroit.org and you can hit that donate button and you can you can see how you want. Do you want to do a dollar a week or do you want to just get a whole 52? You have those um, options. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just, just that simple, blackleadersdetroit.org. And we wanted to do a dollar a week because we want people to know that it, you know, uh, you may hear about people doing certain things like, like for instance, um, Robert Smith, who paid off the, who was to pay off the tuition of, was it 2019 graduates of Morehouse? Of Morehouse, yeah. Uh, yeah. And people look at it like, man, wow, look at what he did. But that's something that we all can do. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we want everybody in the community to be involved. Um, with Black Leaders Detroit, but that's the same thing with In Demand, that every Black man can be involved some type of way with the betterment uh, with making the next generation better. You know, so if you can't, you like, yo, my, my work schedule is to the point where I can't be a mentor full-time, well, you can volunteer. You know, uh, we need some paint being done. We need some paint donated or whatever, right? It's like, everybody can, can put a piece in. It reminds me uh, in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the wall. Absolutely. Um, you know, and everybody had a part to play, whether you was a baker, whether you were somebody who made cologne, whether you, you know, uh, right. a, a blacksmith, everybody played a part in building that wall. So um, and we feel the same way with our community that 
that everybody can can put a put a hand in. So that those dollars go a long way, you know. And it's something to be proud of that everybody, a multitude of people, can say that hey, I'm a part of that. I, I, you know, I made that better. I did that. I did. You know what I'm saying? So that's um, that's the the spirit across everything that I do is that everybody can do something. It doesn't take, um, you know, somebody who just uh, completely altruistic or or you you uh, you got extra time. And no, no, everybody can can uh, can be involved with the betterment of our community. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the paramount points that you brought up is that when you structure service to community as a part of your lifestyle, you will yeah. always have time. That's right. You, you will have That's time right. when it is a part of your lifestyle because yeah. you prioritize it. So whether yeah. it's your service uh, within your you know faith-based piece, whether it's to your nonprofits that exist, whether it's within the... And here, here's the challenge that I've been putting out there, Brother Nellums, is that uh, for anyone that calls himself a community leader, Here's a question that they're going to have to answer uh, in the next 12 to 24 months. Mm. The question they're going to have to answer is, where were you in the midst of the crisis? Wow. Yeah. They, yeah. You, they're going to have to answer the question. And so, and it, and it is, this question is a point of provocation, uh, you know, to those who are leaders and maybe not active because everybody's going through something. Like, Adversity is where you cut your teeth in leadership. You know, this is yeah. it's proven uh, what it is that you are preaching, whether it is sustainable or whether it needs to be tweaked. Uh, it, it needs to go under this level of trial and fire so that you can be recruited better. But yeah. let's talk about it, man, with about 10 minutes left. I need okay. you to go ahead. Now, listen, man, now here's the challenge, bro. I'm going to see if you can do it. All right. The, the, the topic is overcoming. Off the dome, freestyle. Go oh, ahead. Hey, no, I can't play. You got me. I can't freestyle. Dog. No, I, I'm messing. No, you got me, man. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm messing with old, you, bro. Man. No, no, I'm but too, I'm, I'm too old now, man. My, the synapses don't fire as, as as quickly as they used to, man. Like, yeah, it's a rap on freestyle. Man. I might, I might got a, uh, I might got a, a high sixteen for you, but okay, all right. Let's let's drop it. Let's see what let's see what you're working with. All right, let's see. Um, all right. Um. This is for the. This is this is actually a a song I would uh do with my my kids when I first started teaching. I wrote I actually wrote this for my students, and I would uh and I would perform it for them like you know first day of school whatever. So um, I say, <clears throat> you can be what you want to be. Now just don't be a want to be. Now let your light so shine so the world can see, and your light will shine most definitely. Now you don't have to be a thug because you're from the streets. Your body is a temple. You don't have to be a freak. Now, this goes far deeper than what we all can see. Your life has many more possibilities. Now, listen, God knows what your calling can be, but it's up to you to make that calling be. You can live life more abundantly. Inspire the hood like a Aquila in the B. Now, up you mighty race like Marcus Garvey. Now, just think greatness from our streets. Now, just think greatness at arm's reach. Just be more than what you see in this on. I got potential and possibilities. I can do great things, really. Now, y'all say it. I got potential and possibilities. I can do great things, really. That's it. <laughs> oh, no, that's good stuff, man. That's good yeah, stuff. Bro. Listen, you got to put me on the track next time. I'm ready. Oh, oh yeah, indeed, bro. <laughs> we, uh, we got more tracks coming. We got more tracks coming, but more tracks to make, man. So, yeah, definitely, man. 
No, no, listen, I'm I'm joking. You know, this, oh, this hey, is... Hey, bro, let me tell you, man. <laughs> listen, this is something I was talking... Matter of fact, this is one of our podcasts, man. Um, why are there so many hip-hop artists involved in education? When we sat down and did a survey, man, there's so many, like, hip-hop artists, well-known hip-hop artists that had degrees in education. There's some that aren't educators and hip-hop artists at the same time. Like, there's, like, a whole bunch of them, you know. And so we, we, we tried to kind of pick that thing apart. Like, what is the connection between hip-hop and folks going into teaching, you know? And so once we once I finish editing that podcast, man, I definitely put it out, man. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's to me, um, it's very – every other – educator i know has some type of background in hip-hop so when you said you want to be on the track i was like oh this is, that's what i know like every other educator i know has some type of background in music or in hip-hop or something like that so man with go. about four minutes left why don't you go ahead and drop like all of the uh websites where they can get in touch with you uh where they can connect with you on social media and then why don't you go ahead and shout out your event again this saturday okay um if you're interested in donating for uh black leaders detroit uh, $1 a week to impact change. You can go to blackleadersdetroit.org. Uh, if you want to see um, some of the work, the 10 years worth of work that um, the young students in Detroit have been putting out, uh, you can go to lyricistsociety.com. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, music videos, a lot of music, there's a couple of documentaries that they uh, produce. Um, you can follow them on YouTube as well, Lyricist Society. Uh, you know, check out their music and, you know, things that they've created over the years. Um, for In Demand, if you are a black man out uh, and you're interested in, in being involved in the lives of young people in Detroit as a mentor, as a volunteer, and as an educator, if you, uh, if you feel like, you know, you've been called to, to, be, in, to be an educator in the city of Detroit, uh, you can go to imindemand.com. Uh, you can sign up, answer the call. We'll definitely connect you with the information, the resources you need to uh, to be involved as mentors and volunteers and educators. This Saturday, uh, we're having a call to action. We're asking black men to show up at Durfee at 2 p.m. And, and, you know, it'll be an outside event. And we'll connect you right then and there to uh, opportunities to serve uh, young people in our city. Oh, excellent, brother. Excellent. So, yeah, man, I, I finished Onboard Nations. They know that I always end with this piece, my brother. First of all, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you. Appreciate you dropping the wisdom, sharing your story. I, uh, I, without equivocation, I know that someone was impacted with you sharing your journey uh, toward education. Uh, your commitment to, you know, youth involvement and commitment to building community, uh, listening to your your favorite five, you know, your fab five, some research. I wasn't I wasn't familiar with a few of those, but okay. I got to check into that. Yep, yep. And then um, definitely hearing about how you, during the midst of a pandemic, are still out building community and reinvesting. I like the way that you repurposed the word riot, and it was, what, reinvesting in our, in our talent. talent. Yeah, reinvest yep. in our talent. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, I think the greatest uh, interruption uh, or disruption that anyone can do is build something positive. Mm -hmm. 
I think that is the greatest disruption that anyone can do amidst something negative is to build something positive. And so, brother, I I commend you on the work that you're doing. And uh, as I always say, man, your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. And this is the Drawing Board Podcast with brother Quan Nellums. I was about to say MC. What was your What was your name, man? What was your name, bro? Quan, man. Quan. That was my Quan. name. Quan. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, listen, drawing boy. Again, man. Thank you for coming on, and we'll see everybody next week. Peace. Peace.